Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Recording in progress. <laughs> I don't know why they got to put that audible recording in progress in there. It destroys my broadcasting. How are you, brother? It's been a while since we chatted. Yes, sir. Jim, how are you? It's very good to be here. Yeah, I'm okay. It's uh, it's a strange time right now. I don't think we talked since the installation of Biden. We got some serious problems on the border. We got some serious problems with a democratic socialist agenda. We've even got problems internationally. If you look at China and Iran and all the, I, I just don't know how any world leader, despot or otherwise, looks at Joe Biden and has any fear of anything. When Trump was in there, like him or not. He had respect, man. Nobody was going in there pushing Trump around. And I feel like this feeble old man, when push comes to shove, these international leaders are not going to have any respect and, more importantly, no fear of the man. Well, I think that's precisely the purpose of why he's in there. And you have to think to yourself, who's really pulling the strings? Who's really in charge? We know that it's not him. It's not this feeble old man that wanders around the White House grounds and gets lost in the bushes who can't put a sentence together. And I still stand by my bet. I've told everybody, I'll get the vaccine if he can speak for 10 minutes without screwing it up. I'll do it. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, The bottom line is that China, Iran, North Korea, Syria, Turkey, they're all licking their chops. They see this weak, feeble leader. And that's not by mistake. He is, in the Sololinsky term, a useful idiot. And he has been installed, and there are powers above him. Someone is pulling the puppet strings. And we have a right to know who that is. And I think it's precisely the people who do not want to be in fear of an American leader, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I talked about this the last time I was on. And maybe it was just before uh, the election results were final, I guess. I think we were speaking in that in that area of time. And, you know, I had uh, Michael Johns come on. What, What a brilliant interview. And he called it perfectly. He said that he felt like the constitutional argument was there because these states changed the laws. You know, last time I came on your show, I'm like, how is this possible? How do you have a federal election that the feds have no control over? Like, I don't don't get that. So Michael Johns, what a great conversation, said, yes, the constitutional argument is there. Yes, the evidence would be there. And yes, the Supreme Court would fail to have the intestinal fortitude to rule on it properly. Like, uh, you know... uh, you know, I got sucked in a couple of times. I told you this last time. You know, the guy come on Infowars. I don't watch it that often. I don't know how I got into it, but this guy came in and he says, "We got him. Trump's got him. He was playing 4D chess. There's uh, non-radioactive uh, uh, isotopes printed on these things. The DHS made them." And I'm like, "Wait a sec. I, I got excited for a second, and I'm like, "Wait a sec." DHS doesn't print the ballots. I had hope for this little piece of time that he actually had them red-handed. But, I mean, so much to talk about in there. But, you know, any any hope left with the audits that show that there was actually some deliberate election fraud or no? Well, I think the realistic hope to come out of it is that we never fall into this trap ever again where we allowed state election laws to be circumvented in light of some public health emergency. Hmm. And we failed the test big time. The GOP, the elected GOP, the state level GOP failed the test big time because, and I've said this on almost every program, I said it last night when I was with Jeff Dornick on uh, Freedom Squad. I told him that what we did last year is when Nancy Pelosi rolled out that 1400 page COVID relief bill and in it was mail-in voting, we should have had our lawyers in state courts right away filing for injunctions preventing state election laws from being circumvented without going through the proper statutory process. Every state in their state statutes or state laws lays out the process for elections. And that was completely circumvented under the guise of COVID. And that should not have been. We should have been fighting that. We should have seen the writing on the wall. And our failure to have that level of foresight, and the Democrats do a marvelous job at it, and our failure to see 10, 20, 30 yards ahead we we are now playing catch up and I'll tell you from an attorney's perspective being proactive is always better than being reactive if you get arrested tomorrow I can help you if you've been serving 10 years in prison I don't know if I'm going to be able to do much to undo the situation you're in Mm -hmm. so 
how can we have faith in the system now? Because I kind of lean towards the, the opinion that, well, Democrats will be elected forever now. We'll never get this right. Well, that they're setting the table for precisely that. Why do you think we're being asked to mask our kids and cities are going to lock down and you have vaccine mandates now going in L.A. and New York? You can't go to a restaurant or a gym without showing a vaccine card. But the south, the southern border is wide open. And why can't people get voter IDs because it's racist, but you have to have a vaccine ID? There's no logic. There's no consistency. But the reason is because the Democrats want to create a voter block. They want to bring in people, as many voters as they can, ply them with public assistance, and then come to the neighborhood every two, four years and say, hey, look, who's the guy that helps you out? It's a Democrat party. It is absolutely a power play. They've been doing it for the last 50 years. They're continuing to do it. And under Biden, they're going to do it really without opposition because the elected GOP, uh, they're political eunuchs. They're, they're really, we have no opposition. This is the way the game is played. I got to take my hat off for the Dems. This is how you play the game. Right. You just come in and you just do whatever the hell you want to do. Mm-hmm. None of this bipartisan reaching across the aisle. I don't ever want to hear a candidate ever again get up and say, I want to reach across the aisle, screw the other side, do what you want to do, ram it down their throats like they do to us. Do you think if we had, it's this, going back to our, our last uh, topic before this one uh, on the election integrity and stuff, is it a lack of preparedness? Is it a lack of foresight on Trump's part to not? Ha- Do you think if Bannon and Stone were around, this would have happened, or would they have lawsuits on these states immediately as soon as they tried to change the law for mail-in ballots? The problem with Donald Trump is Donald Trump is a narcissist, and he will abide by whomever is kissing his ass at that particular moment. And that's a, well. Look, it, let me preface it because people are going to hear this and go, "Oh, you're not MAGA." Screw you. I do more for MAGA than you think. Donald Trump is the foundation upon a movement, which a movement was launched. He's not the pillar. And we can't be a God King cult and sit there and go, the exalted leader does nothing wrong. He made a ton of mistakes. And we have to be able to have a postmortem and see what did he do wrong to prevent this from ever happening again. We all agree the situation we're in right now is terrible. We agree the situation we're in right now is not sustainable for a nation. And we never want to be in this position ever again. And we have to look to even someone as idolized as Donald Trump, a man who I've campaigned for and voted for and would vote for again. But he made a lot of mistakes. And one of those is going along with anyone who tells him, Donald, we love your tie. Donald, you're the smartest guy we know. Oh, you're great. Well, then he's going to listen to the advice. I mean, if Charles Manson went up to Donald Trump and said, Donald, you look slim today, you look good, he'd go, oh, he's not such a bad guy. We got to get rid of that mentality. He has to surround himself with the right people. And the problem is he surrounds himself with people that in one ear tell him what he wants to hear and in the other, you know, are giving him really bad advice. Hmm. I, uh, man, I, I, you know, this whole process, I, I was a lefty. I ran in multiple elections here in Canada as a Green Party guy, mostly. Uh, it mm-hmm. was before, like in 93, um, when I was a political neophyte, I was 24 years old, and I was recruited to keep the party alive because the federal government said if you didn't run 50 candidates nationally, you were dissolved, deregistered. So I ran, and it was it was a strange process. I, I only went to one debate, but I learned how that, I, I learned that, when you're really nervous, your vocal cords stretch so tight that you don't have a voice. That was my first experience, stage fright. Mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah. prepared for it, and I soaked the chair with sweat. It was a, it was a great pro. It was great. Now the left went mad, uh, and now we are where we are. I took five years to come over to the moderate middle, the center right, I would say, uh, where ninety five percent of us are. You know, mm-hmm. on the left and the right, we're all kind of center left or center right. We're we're not these far left-wing ideologues or these far right-wing ideologues that, that you know that's the minority unfortunately they have such a huge voice now give me your thoughts on this idea like in canada our federal government can be elected a majority with 35 percent of the popular vote that's not proportional the green party that pulls five to ten percent gets zero the other half of the country that votes liberal or conservative whoever loses that time is completely unrepresented Right. So the Green Party used to talk about things like proportional representation. I know it probably doesn't work under your system in the states, but this idea and it's used almost in every democracy other than ours, that if you get five percent of the vote, you get five percent of the seats. Then you get some power 
in a coalition. Yes, there's a lot more coalition. Yes, there's a lot of more, you know, but we still have it in Canada with the minority government, or sorry, the minority party holding the electoral gun to the ruling party to get everything they want. So uh, not specific on proportional representation, but speak to me a little bit about this idea that you can tweak a system that works pretty efficiently without breaking it. We're seeing right now the tweaking of the system. And we're seeing that it's breaking the system. So, you know, I think it's Jordan Peterson talks about if you have something operating at an 85% efficiency and you think you're going to tweak it to make it 90%, you're more likely to break it or reduce the efficiency than you are to make a better change of it. So give me your thoughts on this whole idea of we need to burn everything to the ground and start over so we can build this leftist dystopian future <laughs> or no, uh, utopian future where everything's perfect and our systems that are working not perfectly nothing's perfect but i mean it, you know north america is still one of the best places in the world to live regardless of what the dems tell you yeah but who knows for how long that's going to be <clears throat> look if men were angels no government would be necessary and the bottom line is that government is comprised of human beings and we're susceptible to greed we're susceptible to outside influence Corruption. so that's therein lies the problem yeah on paper it's it's great utopia communist utopia everybody's equal on paper that's a wonderful idea the problem is i have something called greed and pride and i want more than my neighbor i'm a competitive human being i mean that's that's how we were designed by god we're we're mammals with opposable thumbs and the ability to reason so the fact remains is that as long as human beings as long as men and women are in power you're going to have vulnerabilities in the system. Now, I agree with what you said. 85% efficiency is pretty damn good considering most governments in this world are probably running at about 20% efficiency. And if you try to tweak it to make it perfect, you're going to break the whole machine. Mm -hmm. What we have right now is kind of a wholesale recreation uh, of a system. And you have people, first of all, you have a federal government that's way too big and way too bloated and, and just too big for its own purpose. I mean, it's like the DMV. I mean, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't work uh, on an efficient level, which is why and I think we're seeing state and local governments are much more impactful to your day to day life than a federal government. Who you elect as your governor is far more important mm -hmm. than who you elect as your president, be it Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I live in Florida. I went to the gym this morning with no mask. I can go where I want to go. I can go to the grocery store as I am, no mask, no vaccine passport. And I owe that to one man, and that is Ron DeSantis. If Andrew Gillum, he who lays on the floor with male escorts with his tallywhacker hanging out because he's high on meth and laying in his own puke, if he had been our governor, you better believe I'd be wearing a mask, we'd be showing vaccine passports, we'd be locked down. So really, I think... One thing we've learned in the last 18 months is how important your local leaders are and maybe a shift back toward local leadership. Um, and really what we need to do as conservatives, stop looking to the federal government to fix things. Look to your governor, look to your county. And we need to have a distinction, maybe that we haven't had in our lifetime, a very strong distinction between the federal and state governments and really the two there shouldn't not be a whole lot of overlapping, but for you know, interstate highways, federal programs and things like that, really the federal government should be very insignificant in the day-to-day -day lives of people. That's such a great point. And, you know, in Canada, I think we're a little susceptible to the grooming of liberal candidates up through the school board system, up through the local and all politics is local. You're completely right. And you know, I'm still kind of a lefty from that standpoint. Like the Green Party still talks about decentralization, okay? Mm -hmm. Let the people closest to the issues that they're trying to deal with, give them the resources, the money, and the power to fix those because Ottawa, which is so far removed from Fort Erie or St. Catharines, doesn't know what's best for us. You look sure. at, and, and, and locally here, we have a strange system. We have Niagara Region, is a government on, uh, onto itself. And then there's thir there's 12 communities underneath it. So we have 12 mayors, 12 city councils, and then a regional government that does absolutely nothing. And you talk about humans and their propensity to be corrupt, you're never gonna get away from that. And we're gonna have robots, there's always gonna be graft. But when you look at the system, there's graft all the way through, all the way up. And what the left wants us to focus on is racism. Why don't we focus on corruption?
how many people are on the take how many brown envelopes go under desks how many contracts are padded with kickbacks like that stuff is all paid for by us and it goes on all the time and it's almost like now you look at the Cuomo's of the world you look it doesn't matter what politician from any stripe they've gotten there by pleasing people by taking bribes by being on the take by building and grafting contracts and how the hell do we get rid of this it's so deeply entrenched in our institutions I, I don't know how yeah, you never do I guess because you got the greed of man there but like I, I just it frustrates me that the left wants us to look at racism as the you know white supremacy is the biggest threat to us today I think corrupt politicians are the biggest threat to us today yeah, white supremacy on the list of atrocities in this country is insignificant. You're only going to find white supremacy on some Reddit boards and in YouTube comments. Otherwise, it doesn't exist as an institution. If you're a minority in America and you have decent grades, the world is your oyster. You will get scholarships. You will get opportunities. Companies will hire you. It, it is tremendously advantageous in this country to be a minority and that's a, a fine thing that's great i'm glad that, that there's so much opportunity but to think that there's systemic white supremacy that in 2021 that that exists no not at all not at all with with affirmative action and with quotas and with the, the education system the way it is every advantage uh, is, is afforded to minorities in this country this is the most tolerant welcoming nation on the planet we're the most tolerant and welcoming with our immigration policy we let people in at a rate higher than any other country on earth. We treat them wonderfully. We have the most generous public assistance and granted we pay for it. Uh, but to think that systemic white supremacy, and it's funny, it's really funny to hear that coming from people, the people that are saying it like Ilan Omar, who's a refugee from Somalia who came here and became a member of Congress. A little refugee girl. I mean, look, if you remove the politics, I think she's a disgusting person. But if you look at her story on paper, yeah, she's an American hero. She's she, It's a dream come true. She's a, a little you know, Somali girl who comes to the United States and rises to the highest level of government. Good for you. Amazing. Um, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama just hosted a party with 200 servants at their $14 million house on Martha's Vineyard. And she can go on Oprah and go, it's so hard being me. Bullshit. Give me a break. She, they have everything. Only in America would their story be possible. Only in America would these people be able to fly private jets to parties and, and you know and tweet their grievances from thousand dollar phones so give me a break it's disingenuous at best it, it's complete lies at worst and it's not a problem in this country corruption yeah but corruption requires them to police themselves that requires them to take a look at themselves and to and to hurt their own pocketbooks it's kind of like why do they never put in term limits or vote for pay decreases or things like that I want to see people running for Congress who are taking cuts in pay. I don't want to see people going into Congress unless you're coming out of the military or you're coming out of education. I don't think that should be the highest paid job you ever had. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like how hypocritical, how long is it going to take? I said a few months ago, I'll give the sheep another year before they're unable to look back on their personal experience of this COVID trap this hoax, this lockdown, this vaccines and masking until they can look back on their personal experience and go, oh, geez, it didn't really affect me. All those lockdowns were unnecessary. I don't think the mask did anything. Maybe I could have, we could accomplish this by just keeping our distance and washing our hands religiously. And on the other side, the left, all they want to talk about is race. So we've got division, 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 all the way down. And I think, you know, Obama was very covert about it and very charming about it. You know, Trump made it okay to be who you are, to be okay with a wall and strong borders and be conservative. That drove division a little further just by his personality type. Now Joe Biden does it right out in the open. Everything they talk about is race. How long do you think it's going to be, comparing to the COVID experience, when the general electorate can look back and go, this is all wrong. We got the border wrong. We got masking wrong. We got lockdowns wrong. We got vaccines wrong. Like if these vaccines turn out to be wearing off every six months and you need a booster every year and stuff like this, or, or it doesn't ever prevent you from getting the disease, that's not a vaccine. A vaccine prevents you from getting the disease. So now you're getting the disease, you're spreading it, but... It's, you know, it's a form of a therapeutic. I don't know. But I, my question is, how long do you, do you give the general population before they look back and go, oh, these guys are nothing but narcissists. 
projecting their hate onto an invisible enemy. You know, who is it that said, you know, uh, racism's in high demand, so we have to create it. You know, a la it is, yeah. Jesse yeah, Smollett. People, you know? No kidding. People eat that up for some reason, but I think by and large that narrative is really failing. I think That's some good. of the narratives, people are really starting to push back on that. And we realize that in our day-to-day lives, like we're not racist. We're not a racist country. I look at my kids. My kids are two of the only non-Hispanic white kids in their classes, and they play with everybody. You know, we have kids of all nationalities over at my house. I take them fishing. I take them to play. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They don't see that. Mm-hmm. And we as adults, you know, we interact with people. I'm an attorney. I have clients of all walks of life, all affiliations, political, ethnic, whatever. And, and we, I treat everybody the same. The problem is the left wants you with critical race theory. They want you to treat people differently. They think that, well, if you if you know someone who's black, you can't treat them the same way you treat your white friends. You have to treat them with a certain level of delicacy, which I find to be the ultimate racism is this uh, soft bigotry of low expectations where you say, well, you're too dumb to be treated like everyone else. So I'm going to talk down to you and I'm going to treat you. I'm going to hit, hit you with these kid gloves because yeah. you can't handle real world. Look, I, I believe in content of character. I believe that, you know, you treat everybody the same. You treat everybody with respect. And those are conservative values. And to say that that we're racist, I mean, it's a distraction. And I think people are, are really seeing through it. And, you know, you have like some blue checks on Twitter that'll be like, oh, racism. But by and large, it's not like that in the real world. We have to be able to distinguish between what we see, the media that we consume, and our own experiences. Like, you don't ever go to a store and, you know, see people using racial slurs and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't no. exist. It doesn't exist in nature. It doesn't exist in 2021. Yeah, and, you know, you, I have people on my show, and one, once in a while I'll ask them if they're from a minority group, what, what are the percentage of your interactions that are racist? And mm. they can hardly think of the last time somebody was overtly, openly racist to them. And I'm not talking about tossing a slur because you're mad at a guy because he cut you off or something. That's I, that could be, you know, considered that. But, you know, the level, you know, they're trying to convince us that this is a huge problem. And I always say you could fit the white supremacist in the average Starbucks in North America. Like there's what, 100 of them, maybe 120 of devout. And they're probably old from a different generation, grew up in a different time. Like, you know, I talked to my dad the other day. He says, Jimmy, we had two black families in St. Catharines when I grew up. One was a well-to-do guy that worked on the railroad and one was another family wasn't well-to-do. Everyone knew them, but language was way different back then. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same thing here. And, um, you know, I live in a uh, you know nice neighborhood in Broward County and I have black neighbors, white neighbors, Hispanic neighbors, like it, it doesn't matter. It, it just, it doesn't matter. My kids have friends of, of all backgrounds. It, it doesn't exist in day-to-day life. We have to be able to get off, you know, these online platforms where, you know, there's no, the problem with with online platforms is that um, it's pure id. If you want to talk about like the social psychology of it is your ability to say whatever you want without those boundaries and constraints that exist just by virtue of us interacting. So for instance, if I'm sitting down having coffee with you, even if we don't agree, I'm probably gonna treat you with a certain level of civility because just as a socialized human being, that's how we interact with each other. If you and I are having a Twitter war, I can say you, I call you every name in the book, say the most horrific things that I could possibly think of because there's no consequence because I don't have to see you. I could be 3000 miles or maybe 8,000 miles away and I'm protected, but the animal instinct to avoid conflict and to get along is present when you and I are together. That's why human interaction is so important because we don't treat each other the way we treat each other in some Facebook spat or some Twitter war because now there's consequences. Now I can see your face, I can look into your eyes. There's the fear of violent reprisal. So we're gonna treat each other with certain level of respect even if we vehemently disagree. But if I'm on Twitter, I can call you whatever and I can sit on my couch and you can't touch me. So hmm. that's that's hurting us that because what we're doing is we're taking a step back in our social development. And uh, when you when you take down that barrier of, of what's proper and what's not, uh, we kind of fall apart. And then people that you and I are, are OK, I think, because our formative years were spent out in the world. If you're young right now and your formative years are being spent online more and more because of covid I mean, how is that going to play out for us in the long run? Hmm. 
How long do you think it'll be until uh, we get clear that this idea of white privilege is actually racist? And that, and you talked about the bigotry of uh, low expectation, you know, before, how long do you think it is before women or some of these groups that the, the Democrats are claiming are oppressed go, wait a second, I'm a woman, I'm not oppressed, I don't need help if I'm black or Hispanic or whatever, I'm not, I'm not special, I don't need a hand up, I shouldn't be able to get into Harvard easier than an Asian person or a white person. You know, I, I, it blows my mind that these guys, that's all they talk about is skin color. And they keep throwing out this idea of systemic oppression, systemic racism, when this idea of white privilege is racism. You're saying that by the color of my skin, I have more privilege than anyone else. That in itself is a racist statement. I can't believe they get away with it. And we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We've got, we've got white people everywhere apologizing for what their ancestors did and saying, mm -hmm. oh yeah, the system's racist. My brother tried to sell it to me the other day. Oh, well, you're, you're racist by virtue of your skin color. What? No, I'm not. I carve everyone equally. I don't care what their skin color or sex is. I don't care who you love, you know? I'm the same way, Jim, but I'm coming to find out. I'm, I'm learning more about the left. You kind of study them like you study some strange beast. And I'm learning that they have these things called white accountability groups. And I guess like these these far left, usually like up you know upper middle class suburban white women who, who probably need better hobbies, they like get together and they have like these online groups. They call them white accountability groups. And they get together and they... Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't believe in like that generational guilt. Um, you know, my, uh, I'm a Matheny. Uh, Matheny's came to the United States in 1663 and they own slaves. I, you know, I can't do anything about that. Like I, I do, am I supposed to carry generational guilt as a result of that? I, <laughs> I, I have I have no control over any behaviors or any actions taken before November 5th of 1981 when I was born. So like you know we move on like the ideas that we possess today you know 100 years 200 years from now they're going to look back and go my god you guys were so backwards we look back at what we wore in, the, in 1990 and go how did we ever think that was fashionable and i'm not trying to make light of slavery but you understand that as we evolve as a people and as we evolve as a nation we can look back and go that was a really bad idea that was a really bad institution and not just practiced by white americans practiced by people across the world and to this day mm -hmm. is practiced if you're wearing a pair of 130 dollars cross trainers right now in some white accountability group in some upper middle class suburb drinking white wine with your white friends talking about you know the newest facebook post about why you should feel bad about your skin color chances are those shoes that you wore to your class this morning were made by slaves in China. Chances are they were made by a nine-year-old Uyghur girl out in Western China. It exists to this day. There's slaves in Africa. There's slave trades in, in, in some countries in Africa. Uh, the most prolific slaveholders and slave traders on the North American continent were the Comanche Indians. So you really have to put history into context that slavery was an institution that everybody had their hands in the pot. Everybody was making money. Everybody has a little bit of, of accountability there, but to say that that accountability is generational and passes on to people like me and you who had nothing to do with the, the process, I, I mean, again, I think that's just a way to demonize and isolate us as human beings when we need to be coming together and moving beyond the errors of our past. Yeah, it seems like it's purposeful, the division, and I don't know where it leads. We've had so many of these conversations, and, and you, know, I, you know, I talk about my red pilling over the last five years, and then, you know, this idea of black pilling comes up and I'm like, oh, I'm there. So this idea that, you know, you take the red pill, you see the truth. But then when you, once you see the, all, all the truth, you're like, we're doomed. We'll, we'll never come out of this. We'll never swing back to a more moderate middle like ground. We'll always be swinging between the two extremes. I don't know. Maybe that's an overstatement. But, I don't, uh, you know, I, I've gone through my hopelessness stage where now that I've, you know, I'm kind of awake for lack of a better term. And I, yeah. I don't like what I see. And I feel like it's hopeless to fight against the machine because the machine always wins. It's got more money and uh, better resources than we do. I agree. I think a lot of people are feeling burnt out. I think a lot of people are looking at the situation and, and trying to figure out what we can do. Um, I'm, I'm totally in agreement. 
Well, that doesn't give me any more hope, man. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I just, I, I agree with you. Like, yeah, it, it's normal to feel that way. We, we fight and fight and fight. And sometimes we, we stop and wonder what are we fighting for? But, um, you know, I think it's important to have perspective. I think it's important to take breaks every now and then and just, you mm. know, go play with your kids or go watch a funny movie or just, you don't want to live your life in politics. You don't want to live your life just digesting information because it, 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 it can be negative. It can be quite negative and it'll have an effect on you. But, uh, stay in it for the long term you know take a mental health break here here and there but remember what we're fighting for because it's it's a real fight it's not just something you know rah rah and get everyone fired up and give someone a cause to make them feel useful this is a real we're, we're fighting for this country and we say i know people say that every year but no i think i don't care if you're a republican or democrat or not you have to look at the current situation and go something's not right Something doesn't feel right about the times that we live in and i've heard that from a lot of people from all political affiliations uh, personally, brother, tell me how you stay clean. I Googled your name, and there's not one hate article on you that I can find. There's not, I don't know, maybe it's on the blogosphere or whatever, but I'm a public figure like you, uh, well, not like you, but I mean, I'm out there. Uh, my stuff gets taken out of context all the time. I have local media that, you know, when news gets slow, they pull up one of my foul-languaged, uh, you know, podcasts where I'm talking about a local politician and they call me sexist or homophobic or this or that. They hate disadvantaged people. And, you know, the struggle has been real. I'm almost, well, definitely I'm unemployable in my region now as far as being a public face of any company because of the fake news. How, with your conservative takes, have you managed to stay clean with the media that's always gunning for guys that are telling the truth or having a conservative opinion? Well, God bless it, um, because, you know, aside from offering my opinion on political issues, I'm an attorney by trade. I'm self-employed, which is the biggest one. I don't work for anyone else, so right. I kind of have a little more freedom. But, you know, my my business is people find me online or they you know refer me. And fortunately, all my reviews are five star. I have nothing under five star. Liberals haven't gone attack my business by and large. Um, there are some things out there. Uh, Rolling Stone did a hit piece on us. We did Faith and Freedoms a couple months ago with Matt Couch and Pastor Brian Gibson. They did a hit piece, but it didn't really go anywhere. I, I didn't find out about it until a month after it was published, which goes to show the impact it had. And there's some stuff out there like right wing, you know, so-and-so said this. Um, but by and large, it hasn't crossed over into my business because one, um, I like to think I'm a very good lawyer and I do good work and people are very pleased with the work I do. And two, I don't say anything that's not true, that's not supported by facts, at least an arguable basis of fact. Mm -hmm. um, I don't attack people. I don't troll people. Uh, I think that's one way okay. you, you, you try to stay clean. Mm -hmm. um, and I just speak truth. I call balls and strikes. I call out people on the right as much as I do on the left. In fact, I'm non-party affiliated. A lot of people think I'm a Republican. I'm not a Republican. I'm non-party affiliated. I have been a Republican in the mm -hmm. past, and I may be again in the future. But right now, I'm so disgusted with the state and the party that mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm non-party affiliated. But again, I, I, I am not racist. I am not sexist. I think people know that about me. Um, I just, I speak truth and I try to do it, you know, I try to articulate myself, um, rather than just coming out, mm -hmm. you know, making these blanket statements. I don't dabble in the cue stuff like that. I never did. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I just try to stick to facts and just try to make plausible arguments. And if you want to disagree with me, you're welcome to. And if you want to attack me, I get, you know, hate emails and I've had people say like, oh, go die. You son of a, I've had people say that, but by and large, um, it hasn't affected me because, I think also that means people have to, you know, rage online exists in the moment. It's not necessarily something that seeds with you and carry it all day. So if someone sees me on like Twitter, say something and they go, oh, that Eric Matheny's a racist. Oh, they'll reply or they'll say, oh, you're a piece of this. But are they really going to take the time to go offline than to go on Google and want to do a bad review? So you have to have a Google account. So you got to create a Google account and then give me a bad review where I'm going to find it, I'm then going to subpoena your information from Google and then I'm going to sue you for libel because you've never been a client of mine, you're giving a false review. I'm a lawyer. Do you really want to mess with me? Wow. I don't think so. But there are a lot of you know, conservative lawyers out there. Matthew Colkin, who's a phenomenal immigration attorney, he, he's out there, he's outspoken. Robert Barnes is out there, Rudy Giuliani's out there. And um, you know, to the best of my knowledge, at least as far as Barnes and uh, and uh, Colkin, their, their practices haven't suffered one bit from their conservative views. And I respect that. You know, speak your mind. Don't be afraid. Too many people live in fear. Amen to that. Um, 
what do you hope comes out of the Republican Party to give? Because, I mean, especially in Canada, this is true everywhere. You need democracy needs strong opposition. It needs strong leadership, but it also needs a strong opposition party to hold leadership accountable. What do you hope comes out of the Republican Party that gives you hope in 2022 and 2024 as far as even if you're not a Republican, you know, your hope to get the Democrats out of there, which is, I guess, the only option is the other party. A wholesale destruction and rebuilding of the party. I am not on board with the third party. I think it takes a long time to get the money, the infrastructure. Um, The way I see it is the Republican Party is this stately mansion. And we're going to go in there and we're going to kick the occupants out. And we're going to take it from you. And that's what I want to see. I want to see the current old guard, the Mitch McConnells, the Kevin McCarthy's. I want to see them packing their bags and getting the hell out of town. And I want to see the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boebert's the Jim Jordans. I want to see those guys, those folks who are actually fighting, who are actually saying what needs to be said. I want to see them assume positions of leadership. And I want people that are going to get involved in the Republican Party and Republican politics. I want them to follow that mantra. I, You don't have to be in lockstep. I mean, we're not a cult. And I think we have a broad spectrum of ideas. But you have to believe in America first. You have to believe in conservative values. You have to believe that a nation has the right to determine who comes into that country. We have to believe in sovereignty. You have to believe in limited government. From there, we can, you know, nickel and dime all day long when it comes down to the actual issues. But the ideology has to be concrete. You can't agree that a $3.5 trillion infrastructure project with very little infrastructure is a good thing for the country. You can't sit back while tens of thousands of people are just crossing the border on a monthly basis and go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. You can't do that. The Mitt Romneys, you know, that they're political dinosaurs at this point. So that's what I want to see is I want to see us take the infrastructure and the money and I want to see the current leadership out. I noticed you didn't mention DeSantis there. Your thoughts on him and his hope. I want him I want him to run for president in 2024. Okay, He's my number one draft pick for, for president okay. in 2024. And I again and I say I've said this so many times, and I actually believe it or not, a lot of conservatives agree with me. I will Donald Trump is forever, I am forever in debt to Donald Trump, as is this nation for what he did and what he sacrificed to be president. But is he the right man to do it in 2024? I think we have to take a really hard look at that and go, is a 78-year-old Donald Trump the future of conservatism, or is it this 42-year-old dynamo in Florida who's actually, you know, who, who is who is proving himself day in and day out with real executive leadership? who's smart, who's media savvy, who's unafraid. I, I think it's like, look at Donald Trump as like your 43-year-old quarterback in the Super Bowl. And look mm-hmm. at Ron DeSantis as like, you know, your proven rookie. You know, he's more athletic. He's better on the field. He's sharper with the game. I think that's the way you go. Mm-hmm. I think you got to go with DeSantis in 2024. I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, just don't want to keep you too much longer, but on the way out, uh, expand as much as you want on this. Uh, the indoctrination of our children like it to me you know I look at why I get so emotional and use unkind language and mock people and make fun of, like it's all based in love right somehow I want a better world but you know it, and I don't have children yet anyways uh, who knows uh, it just didn't happen for me and that's left a like I am oh man it's left a hole in my life and I think in many uh, women that miss that opportunity have the same hole in their life. Uh, how do we fight the indoctrination of our children? Because, you know, who is it that said, uh, was it Glenn Beck that said, we're, we're raising a generation of serfs with <laughs> millennials, you know? And I thought about that. I'm like, he said this years ago. And now you're looking and you're like, <laughs> the guy was right. That, how, what's your thoughts? Because to me, even without children, it all boils down to the future generations. What kind of life are they going to have? Like, how, how do we fight this idea that, you know, you're privileged because of your skin color or that, you know, you carry generational guilt or whatever it is that, that you can be whatever sex you want? Like, this is serious business. This is what gets me so bad. Children don't have any interest in sex. You know, this whole, oh, you got a girlfriend? Yeah, no, girls are gross. You know, that happens right up until 12. 
you know? I mean, I was in love with my grade two teacher, so maybe it's, you know, a little different for young boys. But, you know, this idea that you can be whatever you want, that we got drag queen story time for grade one, like, it just, it maddens me to the point where, like, it, it, it makes me want to commit violence. It's like when I see a some parent putting on their two-year-old's mask. I want to go, like, I don't say anything, but it, I'm like, oh, like, do what you want. It's your kid, but, like, I'm just, the, war, is, the yeah. war on children, there's a war on masculinity, too, but I'm more concerned with the war on children. How do you fight it? I am too. I have two boys, eight and 10. And so I'm fighting a war on two fronts, one, the war on masculinity and two, the war on children. I think the way to do it is you realize that you and, and your, your partner are the primary teachers in your children's life. Do not delegate that responsibility to the schools. It is always your obligation to be their primary source of education. And even if they're getting it in schools, you know, maybe the way that you wouldn't teach it at home, you make them unlearn that real quick and you have to take an active interest in their lives. You can't just say, Oh, you're at school. You're learning. That's great. Find out what they're learning. Find out who their teachers are. Find out what's going on in their classrooms. Find out what textbooks they're reading. And then you need to one, be vocal. You know, we, we, we need to shift the balance of power from the school board, having the upper hand back to the parents. It used to be the parents it used to be the school board was accountable to the parents. Now it's the parents are accountable to the school board. See, we have to shift the balance of power. I think that comes you know, by being vocal. And also just remember that, you know, you have your kids, they're your kids, they're home with you, they live in your house, you be the ones to teach them, you be the ones to guide them, and and you be the ones, if they're out in the playground and someone says, oh, you can't play with this because you're white, you explain to your kids why that's wrong. If someone says, you know, being a, being a man is, or is toxic or boys, you know, should wear dresses or things like that, you tell them why that's not the case. And again, I, I hold parents accountable for that. Don't offshoot that responsibility mm -hmm. to the schools. You take that upon yourself. All right, a fun question on the way out. You got uh, three executive orders. Where do you start mm. and what do you do with them? As like the president? Yeah, like the top three issues that you think need solving right away. Obviously, mm -hmm. the border's got to be like, well, I mean, like, I don't know how you just let, wow, what a transition we've seen. How many, like a million people illegally have come over the border since Joe, Joe Biden took power? Wow. And then, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem to affect a Jew. I'm on my sixth YouTube channel. I had a YouTube channel that started paying me, you know, and as soon as I hit 3 million views and about 6,000 subs, they disappeared me for no community guideline strikes. So I, um, censorship's got to be in there too. But yeah, you've got three executive orders. How do you deal with them? Number one, the border. Um, what I would actually do, I'd take it a step further, and this is going to infuriate a lot of people, but hear me out. I would actually put a moratorium on all immigration, legal and illegal, given the economy, given the circumstances here in our country, given COVID. Um, I would I would probably put like a 36-month morat moratorium on all immigration. I don't care if you're coming from Mexico or, or New Zealand. It doesn't matter. I would say 36-month moratorium on all immigration, lock that border down illegal immigration you're caught here you're illegal you're going back go to your back. home country i don't care where that home country is seal the border uh and we reassess and we take care of the people we have here because it's a matter of delegation of resources it's not a matter of being racist i don't care if you're coming from a white country or a brown country i don't care we have a country and we have limited resources uh, from which we take care of our population and if those resources are spread thin which they really are uh, how are we supposed to take care of our own people? We have to be obligated to our own citizens first and foremost. So I'd put a moratorium on all immigration, doesn't matter where you're from. Second thing is I would provide massive tax incentives for companies to stay in the U.S. and return to the U.S. Things like, you know, no payroll taxes for the first five years, massive tax cuts, massive benefits to come here and keep your power plants, keep your car plants, keep whatever it is here instead of going to Ireland, Vietnam, and wherever they're going. And I think uh, thirdly is, as I would say, uh, you know, no masks, no lockdowns, no vaccines, you know, live your life, Be free. live your life, tell the truth on COVID, you know, it's 99.7% recoverable. You know, we don't do this for the seasonal flu. Why are we doing it now? Yeah, I, uh, I'll give you a heads up and, and maybe you're aware of them already. There's a guy that uh, left the conservative party here in Canada and started his own party that actually his party turned me down for candidacy for what would be a federal election coming up because I guess maybe I'm too toxic 
but he wasn't in charge of the the whole selection process but i i have been kind of toxic in the past by having a dirty mouth and and talking about people unkindly whether they deserved it or not his name's maxime bernier he's the leader of the ppc the people's party of canada and your number one priority was exactly what he's talking about a moratorium on all immigration until we get our employment situation figured out Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Trudeau wants is going to up it to 401,000 legal immigrants this year. And then we have uh, some parts of our border, just like yours at the southern border there. We uh, what, uh, um, what is it? Roxham Road. Mm. It's a, it's a place in Quebec where you come across from the states and you walk across. The, they're walking across from the states. They're not U.S. citizens, <laughs> obviously. They walk across the border. Immigration picks them up, takes their Gucci bags, puts them in an ambulance, takes them to a hotel where they wait for welfare. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And they're getting more in welfare than my old man gets on CPP, which is Canada pension. His old age pension is less than what these new immigrants, these illegal refugees get by just walking across an undefended border. Oh my so anyway, uh, you might want to look up Max Bernier. Great conversation. He's uh, Thank you. a French guy. Uh, you know, it's it, you got to get used to the accent a little bit there, but uh, he's brilliant. He's a lawyer. He's been in politics and in positions of power with other conservative governments. And last time around, he got about two percent. But uh, he'd be a great guest on your show. You'd love the guy. He's he thinks. I'll I'll take a look. Thanks a for the recommendation. Yeah, a lot uh, like you as far as that goes. Uh, on that note, uh, just leaving. How important is it, man, I got a bunch of legal issues because I emceed an anti-lockdown event in Niagara. We had 3,000 people in St. Catharines. March closed the streets. Never happened before. There's never been a protest of that size in, in, in Niagara or St. Catharines. I spoke mm-hmm. at it. I've got four court dates <laughs> for breaking lockdowns. You know? Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, how important is it, I learned at that rally at that celebration of of freedom that being in a crowd i missed being in a crowd one and two how important is it to have people that think like you around you because i've moved away from my lefties most of them won't talk to me anymore because i'm what insert you know quote here of what the mainstream media says and now you know i went through about you know about two months of hate mail for bad news you know and then a year later I've got this whole new group of people that think like I do and how important it has been to have those people around. You know, some of my old lefty friends, they don't care what my politics are. They just want to be my friend. A lot, I lost a lot of friends, but now, you know, I've, I've found the importance of actually hanging around with people that either don't care what your politics are or actually think like you do. I wonder your thoughts on that. No, you know, Jim, I agree with you hundred percent. It really does help to surround yourself with people who are like-minded, um, I think we all like to do that, you know, politically or not. I mean, we're, we're tribal animals. Mm. That's just how we are. You like to surround yourself with people who think like you. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're fans of the same sport team or you're, you know, on the same political side. Uh, but it is important to be around people who, with whom you agree. There's commonality there. And it's, it's just good for camaraderie and just good for positivity because being around people who you don't agree with creates negativity. Cool, man. All right. What are you doing today? What are you up to these days? Uh, I'm being a lawyer, man. I got uh, court tomorrow, so I'm <laughs> yeah. just uh, I'm working away here. But uh, all in all, doing my show. We got our show every Saturday at 2:30 p.m. Eastern. That's Bob and Eric Save America. Catch us on Periscope. We're not on YouTube anymore because YouTube kicked us off because we talked about COVID. And then, uh, yeah, we, we said the C word and we said we were not in favor of the V word, and we got the big heap ho. <laughs> and it's crazy. Just just quickly, it's crazy. Um, we didn't put anything in the description about it. They must be listening and actually like heard us verbalize it, and that must trigger some algorithm right there. So yes. those engineers over at YouTube are, are pretty creative. So we're on Rumble, we're now on Patriot TV, we're on Facebook Live, we're on Twitch, we're all over there. So that's two thirty p.m. Eastern every Saturday. Check us out on the podcasting platforms. We're on iTunes and we're on Google Podcasts. And uh, you know, again, I'm making the rounds on all the shows. I was on with Jeff Dornick. Dornick, and, uh, I haven't Hayden. talked. To, I talked to Dornick about a year ago. And he was a great conversation, and he hooked me up with a pastor. I talked to him, too. Uh, pastor Jeff, I think. Uh, no, not Jeff. Yep. Uh, Greg Locke or Brian Gibson? or No, it was the book. Uh, shoot, what was the book? How to Destroy America in Five Steps or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, yeah I'm a, not blank. It was a, right a friend of uh, Jeff's, but, uh, yeah, I should look him back up again. I have, I've lost track of him, but, uh, 
He's a, he's a great conversation as well. He does a decent job on the show as well. Yeah, Jeff is my network partner. He's with Freedom First Network. I, I talk to Jeff all the time. So Jeff has a show he does every week called Freedom Squad. So it was me, uh, Chad Caton, of the, uh, he's got a, a podcast that he does. And then Gary Sheffield Jr., who is on the show with us. He's great. Uh, and then the other day, I was on uh, Tom Rotten's show from West Virginia. We did the morning radio show there. And then Saturday, I got my show. So it's been a very busy week of shows and hmm. just speaking my mind and trying to be as active as I can and, you know, fight in, in any manner I can. Well, I love you, brother. Keep up the fight. Give my best to the crew. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon again, my brother. Thank you so much, right. Jim. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Take care. Cheers, bro. That is Eric Matheny, Bob, and Eric Save America. The battle has begun. This is the Patreon. This is where you find him on Google Podcast. This is him. I'll put the links in the show description. Uh, this, I went live to tape. I did not go live with this. I'm in fake book jail, and I think I'm going to wait until... Um, it's probably Saturday until I'm out of fake book jail. So today is Thursday morning. It's 11.45 a.m. EST. Eric Matheny was calling in from Florida. This is the only thing I could find on him. A tragic story where he was uh, the lawyer and uh, they ended up, the kid, the charges were dropped. He accidentally killed a friend. Like, well, I don't know. It's what a tragic story. But I tried to find some grease on this guy, some dirt uh, before he came on, or just any news article. And I Googled him, and there's, there's nothing. Like, I mean, the guy's super clean. And whether he knew it or not, he was actually giving me advice. Because what he basically told me is don't get in the dirt. Stay clean. Don't roll around with the pigs. You know, take it like a man and stop making fun of everyone all the time. <laughs> don't troll, don't slag, don't hate, just love. And that's a that's a hard, hard lesson for me to learn. Eric Matheny, I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. That is a decent conversation I hope to have again soon. Uh, like it if you like it. Share it if you like it. And if you don't like it, leave a comment below of why. Peace, love, hug your neighbor, and whatever you do, take that filthy, dirty diaper off your face. It's infected, and it's harming you. I am out.